to what's already been said for your presence. As been mentioned, we're down a lot of people due to camp, but we do have some visiting with us, and we want you to know that we're especially happy you came our way and invite you to come back and be with us again. When I was first asked to speak this evening, one of my thoughts was, Tommy's an awful tough act to follow. And then I found out he's going, he was in a meeting. I'm like, all right. And then Tom Hamilton showed up this morning. <laughs> Tom is a tough act to follow. But I certainly commend his lesson to you from this morning. It was uh, certainly excellent, something that I needed, and I'm sure many of us did as well. But Tommy actually helped to pick out the topic of this sermon, but he doesn't know that. Uh, in the Deuteronomy class a couple weeks ago, we were in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And the latter part of that chapter talks about, you know, prophets and testing the prophets to, you know, find out if, you know, they're really a true prophet or false prophet. And he happened to mention the story of a couple of prophets that's found in 1 Kings chapter 13. So I'd invite you to turn over there this evening. And we're going to talk about these two prophets. They're not named, although one of them is identified as an old prophet. So I'll call them the young prophet and the old prophet. Uh, I assume the one that's the old prophet is older than the other one, but I guess I can't prove that. But uh, kind of to introduce what's going on... uh, Solomon, uh, the latter part of his reign, if you look back uh, a couple chapters in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9 through 11, we read this about Solomon. It says, Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and will give it to your servants. So Solomon, even though the Lord had appeared to him, says twice, and had done so much for him, His heart was turned away from the Lord by the many foreign wives that he had married. And we read about this servant later on in chapter 11. In verse 28, beginning, says, Now the man Jeroboam was a valiant warrior. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. And it came about at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him on the road. Now Ahijah had clothed himself with a new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak which was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. 
And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten, ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you ten tribes. And so, there's a prophecy as to what was going to happen. And later on in verse 38, as the Lord is talking to Jeroboam, he gives him a promise. says, then it will be that if you listen to all I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. Well, then it ends up, Solomon hears of this, and Jeroboam flees to Egypt, fearing for his life. He actually stays there until after Solomon has passed away. Then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, reigned in his stead, and the people ask Rehoboam to, you know, lighten the burdens. Said, your father Solomon had put very heavy burdens on us. Lighten those burdens and we'll serve you. And Rehoboam chooses to reject that request and says, I'm going to make things harder on you. And so 10 of the tribes rebelled. And Jeroboam had come back and he kind of led those 10 tribes. Moving on to chapter 12 and in verse 21, it says, Now when Rehoboam had come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You must not go up and fight against your relatives, the sons of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing has come from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord, and returned, and went their way, according to the word of the Lord. So, Rehoboam was going to fight, and the Lord says, Don't do that. And so, he doesn't. But then we read about Jeroboam, uh, starting in verse 25, and some of the things that he did. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David, if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then the heart of the people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the kings consulted and made two golden calves. And he said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people, went to worship before the one as far as Dan. 
And he made houses on high places and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. And he went up to the altar, thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn incense. So we see Jeroboam not doing as the Lord had said, but he set up these idols, these golden calves, in places where God had not authorized to worship, and he'd made his own feast days and told the people, it's too hard for you to to go clear to Jerusalem. You can worship here. He made it more convenient for them. And it's with this backdrop that we get to chapter 13. Verse 1 says, Now behold, there came a man from God, uh, of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born of the ha- to the house of David, Josiah by name. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Then he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be split apart, and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Now it came about when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar in Bethel, that Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! But his hand which he stretched out against him dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes were poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and it became as it was before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So he went another way, and did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. So this man of God, this young prophet, came from Judah to Bethel. And there was Jeroboam, standing by his offer or his altar uh, burning incense and the prophet speaks out against the altar and he even specifies who's going to tear down this altar and burn human bones the bones of the priests that sacrificed on it and 
In fact, that's exactly what happens. Uh, so, but when he says that, Jeroboam stretches out his hand and says, seize him. And he can't pull his hand back. And that gets Jeroboam's attention. He asks for prayers. The prophet prays for him and he is able to restore his hand. And then he wants to reward him. But this prophet says, no, I can't do that. Because the Lord told me I'm not to eat bread or drink water in this place. And I'm to go back a different way from the way I came. And so, uh, so he does that for a little while. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Now an old prophet was living in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the deeds which the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken to the king. These also they related to their father. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? Now his sons had seen the way which the man of God who came from Judah had gone. Then he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode away on it. So he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a command came to me by the word of the Lord, You shall eat no bread, nor drink water there. Do not return by going the way which you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now as it came about, as they were sitting down at the table, that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the command of the Lord, and have not observed the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. And it came about after he had eaten bread and had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, for the prophet whom he had brought back. Now when he had gone, a lion met him on the way and killed him, and his body was thrown on the road with the donkey standing beside it. The lion also was standing beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown on the road and the lion standing beside the body. So they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. Now when the prophet who brought him back from the way heard it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the command of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. Then he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown on the road with the donkey, and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body nor torn the donkey. So the prophet took the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back. And he came to the city of the old prophet to mourn and bury him. And he laid his body in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came about after he had buried him, 
that he spoke to his son saying, when I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the thing shall surely come to pass which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria. After this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way. But again, he made priests of the high places from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this event became a sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to blot it out and destroy it from off the face of the earth. Quite a story. And I'm sure it's one that most of us are familiar with. But it's a story that elicits some reactions. Reactions like, that's not fair. It's not fair to punish that young prophet when this other prophet lied to him. And the young prophet gets punished and the old prophet doesn't. I've wondered about that. Of course, there's some assumptions there. Who said the old prophet was not punished? Just because it's not recorded. There's a lot of things we don't know. And we can kind of apply some of those lessons today. I think we all know people who live a very ungodly life and they seem to get by with it. God hasn't struck them dead. But, again, that's an assumption. And, ultimately, if they don't repent, they're not going to get by with it. And, in fact, you can read about some rich and famous people who seem to have it all, but are very unhappy and have many struggles in life. I think the bottom line, the young prophet was punished because he failed to obey what God told him. And I don't think there was any question in his mind as to what God's instructions were. He told them to Jeroboam, and also to this older prophet. He knew what God had said. God had revealed that directly to him. But instead, he chose to believe a lie. And I believe that was his undoing. And you know, people lie. Prophets lie. Preachers and teachers have been known to lie. Even elders have been known to lie. And that's a lesson for us. We've got God's word. We need to not depend on others to tell us what God's word says. We need to dig into it. 
and do what it says and not be dependent on somebody else to tell us. Another reaction that some might have is, well, you know this young prophet, he obeyed most of the things. You know, he, he did go to Jeroboam, that couldn't have been easy. And he told him the truth. And that's true. But he didn't obey everything that God told him. And when you disobey, that makes you a sinner. We don't have the right to pick and choose what laws of God we want to obey and which ones we don't. I mean, I suppose we can do that, but we will suffer the consequences. Let's put it that way. We need to obey in everything. And not say, well, I don't like that one. I don't want to do that. Now, that doesn't mean we'll obey perfectly. That's where grace comes in. Because we certainly won't. But we certainly need to try. You know, the, uh, the scriptures do give some warnings about believing a liar. Turn to uh, Galatians chapter 1, where Paul is giving a warning to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I, again, I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. So, Paul says, even if an angel of he from heaven comes and tells you something different from the gospel that we've preached to you, they're to be accursed. Don't believe them. And you know, in the world today, there are many who claim latter-day revelations from God. Don't believe them. We have the confirmed word of God. We need to follow that. Some of them are way out there, but others don't seem to be that far out. Uh, Mormons are a good example. They claim that the Book of Mormon is a latter-day revelation. If it's the same as the New Testament, then we don't need it. If it's different, then it's another gospel. And not to be accepted. But we also find that the scriptures teach that what has been revealed has been revealed once for all times. 
in Jude, the third verse. It says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. It was delivered once. It didn't, doesn't need to be delivered again. We have it. And also in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So, we have the perfect gospel, and we need to follow it. But sadly, there are those, and I think even those who claim to be gospel preachers, who tend to put their own reasoning above what the scriptures teach. Uh, in areas such as marriage and divorce, there are those that are unwilling to accept what the scriptures plainly teach. Turn over to Matthew 19 with me. I want to look at one of those areas. Uh, Matthew 19, uh, starting in verse 3, says, And some Pharisees came to him, testing him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, you are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So, the teaching is plain. Divorce for any reason is not scriptural. There is only one scriptural reason to divorce, and that's adultery. And some would say, that's, that's pretty strict. And you know, they did back then too. Read the next few verses. Verse 10. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. So, if you can't accept the Lord's teaching on this, then you're better off just never getting married. But then there's some other things that in more recent years have uh, become in vogue. Things like homosexuality. And that's far more accepted today than it was when I was a lot younger. Uh, not to say that there wasn't any, but it wasn't talked about and it wasn't practiced so openly. And you know, there's some that are even trying to prove from the Bible 
that homosexuality is okay. They uh, say that Romans 1 is teaching you to uh, do whatever is natural for you. That's not what Romans 1 says. Look at verses 26 and 27 in Romans 1. It says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. Certainly doesn't sound like homosexuality is approved of. It is certainly condemned in that. It is against nature. And then something even more recent, the push for transsexuals, changing your sex. It's like, no, God made me this way. And, and they'll say that about homosexuality as well. But you know, we read there in Matthew 19, God made them male and female. And that's actually a quote from Genesis 1 and verse 27. Where God created humans as male and female. That's the way God made us. And to try to change that is very unnatural. Certainly not what the scriptures would teach. But there are many today who go along with that and some that even really push that and we need to be willing to stand against that so these are the lessons from the young prophet and the old prophet we've got God's word we need to stick to it and not be influenced to stray from that by the many false teachings that we find in the world today. If you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, there's no better time than right now to change that. It's easy to do that. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you willing to repent of your sins, turn away from those things? Are you willing to confess your faith before others? And then be immersed in water, be baptized for the remission of your sins. And then you're on the path to heaven. It's a great path. Or if you've once done that but have fallen away, there's no better time than right now to make that change. So if you're subject to the invitation, please come as we stand and sing.